Elvis. Dear Young Rocker is a production of iHeartRadio and Double Elvis Productions. Dear Young Rocker, Look, I need to tell you something. You're being pulled into a cult, but you don't know it yet. You probably won't believe me about this. You'll get angry at me, like you did with your parents when they seemed skeptical of how much time you've been spending at that place. You were so mad about how much they didn't understand that you've nearly stopped talking to them at this point, which is exactly what the yoga people want. These people have gotten you to replace your entire support system with them. I know that before this, you were depressed and directionless and felt like you just couldn't make friends because you know a depressed person isn't fun to be friends with, so you kept yourself from the people around you. Plenty of very imperfect people have many good friends, and those friends support them through their imperfections. You are good enough. Cults are sirens that call to young people like you. Many people are vulnerable in their transition between childhood dependence and adult independence. As young adults, when we know we no longer can be permanently with the family we are born to, but haven't created our own family yet, that's when we are desperate to feel like we belong somewhere with someone. For some, they find this in their college friends, whether they are good or bad choices. It's a time when we're lonely and needy for someone to really listen to us and care about us. As we are simultaneously shrugging off our parents, yet starting to deeply miss being taken care of by them and having them give us attention for our every mood, even if we'd never admit it and say that we're so happy to be out of there. So the siren calls to you and tells you, you are special, you are cared about, you have a purpose, you belong with us. And their song is beautiful and you follow it. It's like you suddenly have a new mother who doesn't judge you at all. It feels natural. I just want you to know that I don't blame you, and I don't blame anyone this has happened to, no matter what anyone else thinks about it. So, we're going to jump ahead in time a couple months, from the beginning of the summer where we left you, to the end where you are now. All we've missed in between is more shoplifting, hiking, and way more of your yoga classes. Certainly no consideration of your academic career. I'm currently bowing 300 times in a row in a dark room alone. 
because that's what Elizabeth and the master told me to do when I showed up at their door frantic as hell. I don't have to be here bowing, since it's not class time, it's nighttime, and I'm here of my own volition. I'm not in the yoga studio. I'm on the third floor of the building, above it, where I've learned that Elizabeth and Master Cho live together. They put me in this nearly empty room with no lights and two candles. I was told I'd have to wait a few hours for the bailiff to come back before I could pay Aaron's bail. And I didn't know what to do with myself. So now I'm bowing. These are not polite bows, but aggressive, fervently reverential type ones. I'm clearly praying to something, but I don't know what. As I throw my arms up and my head back, clap my palms together, and then fold down to the floor on my knees like a mannequin whose strings have been dropped. Finally, I reach out to the ground and flatten myself down to it completely. Face, belly, toes, and then my arms stretch straight out over my head. At the end of this cycle, I'm completely prostrated. I feel like my body language is saying, I'm giving myself up to you. Here I am. This is not my body anymore. I feel very in that feeling. I want someone else to be in control of my fate. Lately, it's just too much to figure this all out by myself. Then I push the ground away with my hands, jump my feet under me, and shoot back up to standing to repeat the process. Within a few rounds, my head feels filled with air, and my body seems to be floating itself up and down. I know I'm meant to be here. As I float, I go over the past few hours in my mind. The reason Aaron got taken in was not paying all the tickets he got for having a burned out taillight and a noisy muffler. He told me when he called me from jail. I kind of wished he had called his mom instead of me, but at least now I know what happened. I guess it's possible to get arrested out of pure laziness. He told me he didn't see the two summons in the mail and blamed his mom for throwing them away. When the bailiff gets back, I'm gonna have to pay the $500 cash for the bail and to get his car released. Aaron told me he doesn't have the money. I sort of do, but I shouldn't. Before coming here, I drove up and down I-93 in the rain, not knowing what else to do with myself. The road was slick, and at one point, my little car did a 180-degree spin. I found myself facing oncoming traffic for a moment, in the middle of an on-ramp on a blind corner. Somehow, not a single car was on that stretch of road for those few seconds. So I turned around and drove back to North Andover very, very slowly. I had sat in my dark car in the Whole Foods parking lot with the engine off and scrolled through the contact list in my phone. I needed to talk to someone. 
I knew that. But none of the names looked sympathetic, though. They all seemed to be asking me to not call them. I couldn't burden anyone with this. It was all my fault. I felt sick with shame at the thought of selecting any person I knew. I imagined phone calls full of lecturing or rejection. And I know Aaron would get pissed if I called his mom. So finally, I drove back to the mini mall where I knew I would be accepted. We had been on our way to class when he got pulled over and then arrested and taken away. Luckily, we had driven there in different cars. I still went into class, and when I got the call 30 minutes later, Elizabeth told me not to pick up my phone, and then told me not to bother going after him, and asked me why I like him so much. I just shrugged, and then I went to the police station. I hear the voices in the next room. They're speaking about me quietly in Korean as I go through my bows. Through the wall, it sounds like owls. They know that I'm feeling alone and scared. They know that I haven't gone to friends or family or school for help or advice. I've come to them. The people around me are screaming in a bestial manner. They're all in white uniforms, and their dancing starts turning into straight flailing and even flopping on the ground. I can't even understand what some are saying, and the instructors implore us for more, more, more. As I shake my head and scream, I feel like it floats off of me, and I'm entering the same space as when I had that panic attack. A place where I'm not in control. I start screaming so hard, I can't hear anyone else or the music. I feel like I'm gonna throw up. I'm screaming, I love myself, in the hopes that it will permanently come true if I do it loud enough. I look at the windows, still covered in black paper. I have no idea if the sun is set or what time it is. It could be a whole nother day by now. I think back to how I got here and try to recap the day so far. Aaron and I drove into Boston following MapQuest directions, and after a while, we found the center. It's above a convenience store. I had been so nervous and excited in the car, remembering Elizabeth playing me the video about how this workshop would change my life and finally deciding the $500 was worth it and handing her my debit card. And I can't forget Master Cho putting her hand on the back of Aaron's neck and then him looking suddenly meditative and then handing over his card too. This day has been a blur. I know we hit our abdomens, like always, but definitely harder and for longer than usual. I know we've been encouraged not to drink water and we've jumped around and screamed and looked into each other's eyes and told complete strangers our deepest insecurities. 
I told my partner, this older woman, about how I've never felt smart enough. And she told me about worrying she's not a good mother to her daughter, who happens to be an instructor here. I keep thinking about how I shouldn't be here because that $500 wasn't mine. It was a refund for dropping almost all of my classes. The $2,500 check that's been paying for all my time at the center and this workshop should have went to my parents, but it was put in my school mailbox. And after driving around with it in my glove box for a few hours, I went to an ATM in a quiet town and I put it in my account. When I told Elizabeth what I'd done, she said it was okay and that sometimes parents don't know what's best for us. As I jump around, I'm trying to believe that. I do feel like I'm transforming like the caterpillar who turns into a butterfly in the Shimsung video she showed me. That's what I am at now, Shimsung Workshop. As we keep doing our brain vibrations, it feels like I'm releasing all the trauma of my life. We must have been going for over an hour at this point. I try not to think about the water cooler in the hallway, because we were told to ignore it. Once in a while, I look over at the very tall white kid who seems a few years older than me. He's at a DJ stand on the side of the room, playing electronic music to pump us up. I've seen him before because he visited our class once in North Andover. He had done a demonstration of the special martial art Don Mudo. It was beautiful to watch the way he moved, like he was flowing through water as he went from almost a full split on the ground to all the way up balancing on the toes of one foot. He was as light on his feet as a ballerina, which seemed incredible for someone so tall. I had asked him afterwards about the training, and he said that to become fully certified, He had spent over $10,000. I looked at him and waited for some kind of ugh response or joke about the cost. But he just said, I took out a loan. Recognizing him from that, I go up and say hello. Chelsea-san, he says. I try to ask him about the music he's playing. Does he like any rock bands or just electronic music? but his face doesn't even register that I've really said anything. Then I say, Chanaseo, and he bows at me and smiles. Soon enough, I'm bouncing around and flailing as hard as everyone else. As we dance, Elizabeth tells us to shout out what we're feeling about ourselves. The young black woman next to me shouts, I am an African king. She says it a few times in a row. Elizabeth screams, Chanaseo! After the exercise, we tumble to the floor and we're told again not to leave the room and not to think about the water fountain. The familiar violin music begins to play. Mm-hmm. 
Elizabeth leads the meditation. She's speaking more quietly than usual. We start on an imaginary journey while laying down on our backs, and she leads us along in our minds. We begin by picturing what it was like to be our true selves, floating around the universe, watching our parents, and deciding to be born to them. You chose who you were, Elizabeth says. I imagine looking down at my young parents. I see my mom's 80s perm and my dad's still with hair on the top of his head. I sense my mom wanting a daughter. I see her praying for one. I imagine some weightless version of myself deciding to be that daughter. I feel like I actually truly remember why I chose them somewhere deep in my memory. Like trying to remember a dream I knew I had and used to be able to remember more fully. With our eyes still closed, Elizabeth leads us through being in the womb and then the shock of being born into the bright, cold world. We mime learning to crawl and stand and start to walk on shaky legs. Then we learn to run and remember the freedom of adolescence as we move around in our spots. I stand still for this part while others dance around like little kids. I don't remember feeling carefree much as a child. I remember worrying about how I looked to other people at school. But I don't dwell on that, and I keep moving through my life. Eventually, we stoop over walking through the later years of our lives. Finally, our legs start to buckle, and we lay back down for our final days. Elizabeth tells us we will die now. We will leave the world and return to where we were before we were born. Dying makes me cry. I don't want to leave this life yet. I feel like I've only just gotten started. I'm only just learning to stop running away from being me. We're told that now our true self, what I imagine to be my soul, will be released back into the universe. Elizabeth tells us now to really see our true self and to talk with it. On cue, my true self appears hovering above me, at first in my mind, and then solidly in front of my open eyes. I blink to make sure I'm awake. I'm not scared. It's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. A transparent, deep electric blue filled with gold sparkles in a human shape, but with no distinct features. It shimmers as it slowly moves around above me. I love you, I tell it. I'm so sorry that I ever doubted you or thought you weren't good enough. It says... I love you, Chelsea. Its voice is androgynous and very soothing, motherly and fatherly at the same time. I know that it only has pure love for me, that it's somehow made of love. 
I silently promise to work together in harmony with this being for the rest of my life. I feel it smiling as it descends back down inside of me. The sparkles reach every nerve in my body. I cry from love. Elizabeth is pointing a camera at my face and telling me to give her my true self smile. It's the end of Shimsong. I'm holding a rose and my graduation certificate. I know I look sweaty and like I need a shower, but I feel like I'm luminescent. I want it to be my picture on the pamphlet because I doubt the training has ever made anyone happier than me. It has truly changed my life. And now I feel like the many hundreds of dollars I paid to be here are worth it. After the picture, Master Cho and Elizabeth give me and Aaron special cards that the others haven't gotten. I have no idea what it could be. I open my envelope, and inside is a ticket to the World Brain Conference in New York City. I know what this is from other students at our center asking me if I was going to go to it. It also cost a couple hundred dollars, and it's supposed to be the world's largest gathering of our students. The leader of the organization will be there. Elizabeth knew I couldn't afford it. Like she's reading my mind, she says, The other members of the center pitched in to buy you these very special tickets. You must do this for yourself, Chelsea and Aaron. I kind of wish she had asked me before getting the tickets if I wanted to go, because I'm not really sure. Now I feel bad if I don't, because these people I barely know gave money for me to do it. I know my parents definitely wouldn't want me to go to New York City with a bunch of strangers. After the others have all left, I tell Elizabeth that. She says, Parents don't need to know everything. We'll pick you up and drive there together. Maybe you can even meet the founder and you will feel healing from just being near him. Something about them driving me and thinking about this guy makes my skin kind of bristle. It was after one of my first few classes that Elizabeth had given me a stack of books and magazines from the organization that runs the center. Right now, I have them all spread out in front of me on my floor in my room. She had told me they were free presents because I was a very special student and that they would help me. It had made me feel so recognized and cared about Now, I'm starting to feel a little weird about that. The books all have this one old Korean guy as the author. He's the one who created this whole thing. I wanted to be a good student, so I read all of them. The magazine is called Brain World. The founder is pictured and mentioned at some point in every single article, and the news of his accomplishments 
such as starting school programs for children in Korea to practice the art and opening retreat centers is repeated a bunch of times in both magazines. Over and over, I see his mission to have 100 million people practicing his teachings worldwide within his lifetime. There are ads for the Brain Conference that I'm supposed to go to in just a couple days. It says that we'll all be healed and transformed at it. I didn't go to a class today. I told myself I'd go to the early morning one at 6.30. Then the afternoon one. I didn't go to either of them. I didn't go to my German class today either. I didn't go anywhere. I haven't gone to school much at all this semester. I'm only enrolled in these three random classes. I dropped most of the ones I initially signed up for. That's how I got that refund. And so I'm at the center every day. If I don't go, Elizabeth calls me. I decide to look at my phone for the first time today. There are three missed calls from Elizabeth. It looks like my mom called me too. What the hell could I possibly say to her? An idea I've been sitting on hits me again, and I can't stop myself any longer. I open my laptop and type into Google, Dawn Yoga Cult, and click enter. I scroll past the article titles. I see the word lawsuit over and over and over. I finally open one. It has wrongful death in the title. What I read in it makes me need to go for a hike right now. I get in my car and drive to the farm. As I'm driving, I think about Julia. She's the woman who's the subject of a wrongful death lawsuit against the founder of Don Yoga. Her parents said that the organization had totally estranged their daughter from them. I think about Elizabeth saying, it doesn't really matter what parents think. You don't have to tell them everything. The tightness in my throat comes back. It had kind of subsided when I was going to dawn classes regularly. When I felt I had a specific place to be every day and was stretching and moving and meditating. And that there were people who wanted to see me and I belonged with them. But at what cost? As soon as I park, I jump out of the car and don't bother to buy a parking pass from the ticket machine since it's already getting near sunset. I go down the big trail across from the farmhouse. It's a wide open one, so I won't get lost if the sun totally disappears while I'm out. I look up and see birds settling into their trees for the night. I imagine the bird parents wrapping their wings around their little babies. I walk faster, pound my feet into the dirt harder. I need to manually regulate my breathing by moving and getting my heart rate up, or I'll have a panic attack. I know it. I can feel it coming. I think about how my mom and dad would feel if I disappeared and they never heard from me again. I really think about it. 
In my mind, I see the exact looks on their faces they'd have when they finally resign themselves to me being sucked into a cold. I see them hugging each other and my mom's legs giving out and her falling to the floor. I hear her saying, my only baby is gone. I can't live with this. I think about how she really has almost no one but me in her life. The Dawn instructors had always made it seem more important to honor myself by buying expensive classes than to be honest with my family. As many problems with my parents as I have and everyone else does, I still can't fully believe that deep down. I don't know. Maybe that's still my parents having control over me, but I've never really lied to them before, at least nowhere near like when I took that refund check. I violated their trust, and I don't feel good about it. Although I've lost 10 pounds and feel physically and mentally better than I can remember because of this practice I've been doing, this new information carries more weight than all of that combined. I think of all the class action lawsuits I read about from people who'd been coerced out of lifetime savings. I think about the martial arts guy and how weird it was that he didn't have any remorse about spending $10,000 on his training. Then I think about the other instructors at Shimsung that I hadn't met before. The non-Korean ones, who still parroted the same trademark phrases over and over again and refused to discuss so much as the weather. They had the same wide-eyed, childlike look that I thought was just Elizabeth's weird personality. They all liked me so much, and at first, it seemed so nice. But now it's terrifying. The first people I've felt supported and accepted by, loved even, and they just wanted something from me. Elizabeth had even said she wanted me to meet the founder. I think about another former Don member I read about, Sun Hee Park. She accused him of coercing her into sex in her lawsuit. Those books he wrote all included sections about expanding your sexual energy and being sexually open. I feel a jolt of electricity hit my stomach as I wonder if they wanted me to try out for the youth group that travels around the world with him and lives on his ranch. I shudder at the thought. That's where the girl with the wrongful death lawsuit died. She climbed a mountain with no water. It's all coming together. This guy wants to train young people as sort of some kind of superhuman army that can survive without any water or food and knows these deadly martial arts even though it just seems so innocent and like some self-help yoga thing. I can't handle this all by myself anymore, and I don't want to talk to Aaron or anyone else about it. I start jogging back to my car and then running to get out my energy. I call my mom. She picks up right away. In the innocent way, she says, Hello? Hello? makes me start crying immediately. 
She had asked me if I was in a cult before I stopped talking to her. I tell her she was right, and I tell her all about what I know now. I tell her I'm never going back. Then I tell her about the check, and I start crying harder, worrying she's going to get mad or tell my dad about it. There is no way I could face him. He'd disown me if he found out. She says, it's okay. She's just glad I'm safe and I got out of there and didn't go to New York. She says she won't tell my dad about the money. She keeps telling me it's okay and just to breathe and calm down. But I can't. After we hang up, I scroll through my contacts to Elizabeth's number and block it. And then I block the sender's number and then I drive back to campus. At a stoplight, I start crying again, and I feel another wave of panic rise up. It hits the surface as hot rage. Why am I so mad? Then, it hits me. They got me with music. Yeah. They did the normal cult stuff of isolating me from my family and emotionally manipulating me. But I think what really got me more than the average sad college student was the damn music they played during those first few meditation sessions. That violin and piano song was specifically written to make people feel that longing feeling. And then the Dawn instructors tell you what you're longing for is your own true self, your own soul. And the pounding drum beats make jumping around and shaking my brain seem like a totally normal thing to do when there's no way I would have had all those feelings or done all those things if the music hadn't been there. They used the key to my heart against me. They captured me with music. I look in the rearview mirror, hit my steering wheel as hard as I can, and scream, I don't need you to find my fucking true self, you fucks. I know who I am. I am Chelsea Erson. I don't need anyone else to be myself. I finally really opened myself to other people. And look where it got me. Those creeps wanted to truly separate me from my family, but they couldn't. For the first time, I actually feel thankful for my parents. I look into my eyes in the mirror and make a silent vow to protect myself and never let anyone take advantage of me like that ever again. I will never let another person take my heart from me. And I will forever be suspicious of anyone who ever immediately likes me or wants my time or me. Dear Young Rocker, I don't have much else I can say to you about Aaron or Dawn because you're doing a good job figuring it out all by yourself and you will find your path forward and away from all of it. I'm glad you're realizing how they got you 
how they used your deep love of music against you. The power music has in your life is greater than pretty much anything. It can be a source of power for you or against you, causing you to fall into traps like dating someone you aren't interested in to keep your band together, or believing that a cult is the reason you feel good and not simply that you've been moving around and breathing to music and told that you're on the right path by someone. I wish that you could have found a mentor or someone in your family to tell you that you are on the right path instead of Elizabeth, of course. And of course, I will again say that you indeed are, as weird as it all feels. I also wish that I could say this period of bandlessness was almost over for you, but the years in which no rock occurs are in full swing. It's too bad because it's going on around you. There are people you could play with, and you would just need to seek them out a little bit, but you still have a good amount of exploring other directions to do before you really learn how important music is in your life. Despite the million little things around you, they keep trying to point that out to you. If you had been in a band or were still a music major, there's no way in hell you would have gotten sucked into that cult. You just wouldn't have had time, and if you had a good group of friends, they might have pointed out how, uh, different your boyfriend is. You didn't have time in the past couple episodes to explain this to us, but the whole Aaron truly believing that he will win money at the casino if he just learns to meditate well enough and losing tons of it in the process and using karma to score at shoplifting and truly believing in Don Yoga and telling you to go back after you get out, yeah, he was special. I'm sure the words, I'm gonna win it all someday, Chelsea, are still ringing clearly in your ears, but you're getting to the conclusions you need to all by yourself. And that's how you've always insisted on doing things. If you could let in some good people who don't want to take advantage of you, you might not have to work so hard at figuring life out all alone. But I know to you it feels like every time you let someone in, they ruin everything. So you go back to your own little safe shell. You'll get out of it little by little, and now you have a good idea of some red flags to look for before letting in another wrong person. Well, you still have many, many more adventures to go on. Farewell, young traveler. Next time on Dear Young Rocker, Chelsea tries to pick up the pieces of herself after her experience. And she even finds someone to play music with. Sort of. Dear Young Rocker comes to you from Double Elvis Productions and is executive produced by Jake Brennan of Disgraceland. The show was written and created by me, Chelsea Erkson. I also wrote the theme song, I record and edit the episodes, and I create many of the musical pieces and sound effects you hear in the show. 
The other half of our two-person production team is Colin Fleming, who provides more sound design and music and also mixes the episodes. I would also love if you would join me on Instagram at Dear Young Rocker and follow Double Elvis too. I also have Facebook and Twitter, and I just really love hearing stories and seeing pictures of your own awkward young rocker beginnings. So please dig up an old picture and tag me and I will definitely reshare it. And please, please share this story with anyone, anyone who has a young rocker in their life who you think could be touched by this because that's the whole point and write a review on Apple Podcasts if you like the show because that goes far toward the goal of helping kids feel less alone too. Thank you. Dear Young Rocker is a production of iHeartRadio and Double Elvis Productions. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.